We have titled this message simply, Disguise. You may have wondered where we would find such a text in the Bible. Jeroboam said to his wife, Please arise and disguise yourselves, that they may not recognize you as the wife of Jeroboam. Verse 5, last part. When she comes in, she will pretend to be another woman. Now, Jeroboam was made prince over the people of God. This was a wonderful distinction, a marvelous assignment. The kingdom had been taken from David, given to Jeroboam, placed in succession to David who had led the armies of Israel to victory time and again, as well as Solomon, who filled the world with his wisdom. Both Jeroboam and David were lifted from humble station in life. David from the sheepfold, Jeroboam from the army, both ascended the throne of Israel and founded what history would claim to be dynasties. David served 40 years, Jeroboam 22 years, long 10 years of leadership. But how do they compare? That's what makes this text so interesting. David kept the commandments of God. Jeroboam did nothing for God. Verse 9 to me is one of the most tragic statements I've ever read. But you have done more evil than all who were before you. How would you like that behind your name, on your tombstone? You have done more evil than all who were before you. Go back to chapter 11 for just a moment in contrast to verse 38. God spoke through his prophet that we are getting acquainted with in chapter 14, these words. Then it shall be if you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight, to keep my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did, then I will be with you. And build for you an enduring house as I built for David and will give Israel to you. How many of you know that none of that came to pass in Jeroboam's life? You say, why? Because of one little word in verse 38. You know what the word is? If. You see it up there in the first line. Then it shall be if. How many of you know there is an if in all of our lives? Raise your hand. There's always an if, 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 if. Well, what had been promised him, he never realized. He ended up in ruin. 
He made a mess of his life and tragically let his sinful ways rub over on his wife and affected his whole lineage as we will see before we're through this morning. Now, I want to ask the question, first of all, what leads up to a disguise? This may surprise you. What really leads up to a disguise? What do all of us in church today face when it comes to this thing of disguise, trying to show ourselves as something we're really not? It may surprise you. What does it? The first thing I learned from Jeroboam is a knowledge of God will do it to you. You say, that sounds paradoxical. Well, just realize that Jeroboam was not a stranger to the great things God had wrought for Israel. He was sinning against light. Jeroboam knew better. That's what made this disguise so incredible, and yet it's what people do up to this very moment in this world when they have a knowledge of God. They try to come to God different than what they really are. Jeroboam wasn't the first, and he certainly wasn't the last. Purity of worship was at a very low ebb while King Jeroboam made the lowest of the people priests and consecrated whosoever wished, according to verse 33 of the 13th chapter. Think of that. He had a knowledge of God, and yet he made whosoever would want to be a priest without any qualifications other than, I want to. How many of you know, I want to, is not the only qualification for service unto God. It's not the only qualification. He had a knowledge of God which led to disguise and sham and facade. The second thing I discover, in his acts of worship, they were according to his own thoughts and his own convenience. He made Israel to sin by the substitution of his ways for the ways of the Lord. There may be a knowledge of the ways and of the will of God while the daily life is a presumptuous denial of the divine revelation that has been given. Our worship must not become man-made, but must always be God-inspired. Disguise comes when we substitute our own revelation for His, our own desire for His, when we do not lift holy hands unto the Lord, but tainted hands unto the Lord. That was Jeroboam's problem. Also, as is the case with many of us, Jeroboam had a need of God. The same thing that has brought many of us to church today was in his life, a need for God. And what was that need? It was his son, Abijah. He was not a baby, obviously. He was of some age. 
perhaps the eldest. But Abijah fell sick, and Jeroboam didn't know what to do. And so he immediately thought of what a lot of us think when trouble hits, the prophet. We've got to get to the prophet of God. We've got to find out about the boy. Abijah fell sick. And his father heart was anxious to know what would become of his child. A need of God. Now friends, it's time for us to realize that you do not have a religion for health and a religion for sickness. It's time for us to know you don't have a religion when things are good and another one when it's bad. But that's where a lot of folk are, in my estimation, in life today. It's where Jeroboam was. One religion for health, another when his boy fell sick. So he put on the disguise. If he had come to God the right way, the boy might have been healed, but instead he died because disguises do not please God. God knows the truth. And then he goes to Mrs. Jeroboam, and in essence he says, I'm so well known that I want you to go to the prophet, but don't go as Mrs. Jeroboam. Go with a disguise. See how we pollute those around us by our own foolishness and lack of faith. And she played the game. He said to her, take a peace offering with you. Oh my, I could spend a little while on that. We put our money in the offering and we say, in essence, boy, am I a nice person. God must really be pleased with me. We give something to the poor. We go along with this good works bit and we think it impresses God. If you gave all the money there ever was in this world to God, you would never please God because he wants your life. He wants your heart, and he wants honesty, and he wants integrity, and he hates hypocrisy, two-facedness. He hates it. He despises it. He gets angry over it, as we shall see. So she does it. She puts on the disguise, and she heads for the prophet Ahijah's house. Now maybe Jeroboam thought that the disguise would work because Ahijah was old and his eyes were growing dim. It sounds like he was having cataract problems because here in the text that we read, his eyes were glazed by reason of his age. So God, who sees everything and hears everything, spoke to Ahijah the prophet, we call this the gift of discernment. It's one of the nine gifts of 1 Corinthians 12. And God says to Ahijah, 
Through this marvelous gift, you're going to have a visitor. But she's not going to come in the manner of her own self, but she's going to come with disguise. Now, there is a verse in 1 Corinthians 3.13 that I want to interject here because it includes everybody that hears my voice. Nobody is excluded from this verse. Listen to it. Paul said, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. In other words, what happened in 1 Kings 14 is going to happen to all of us when we come before the judge of all the earth. There is not one thing that will not be uncovered. Everything will be open with him with whom we have to do. Every word, every act that is not under the blood of Jesus I'm talking about, thank God for the blood that covers our sins but if you come out from under the blood and you decide to be a Jeroboam or a Mrs. Jeroboam, you're in deep trouble. It will all be revealed, every bit of it. If you're a drug peddler, it's going to be known. If you've killed kids by selling them drugs, you're indicted before God for murder. You're in trouble, deep trouble. God sees through disguises. God sees behind the mask. God knows, and every man's work shall be made manifest. Well, I don't know what that does to you. But that puts godly fear into me. I wonder if we don't have the attitude that a man in Wichita, Kansas had, I read about the other day, it's kind of a cute story. It happened in the month of February and there was a wintry blizzard in Wichita. And he had a court date and he went to court not knowing that because of the blizzard, court had been canceled. So he went, and afterward, he wrote a letter to the court, which I read to you now. I was scheduled to be in court February 23rd at 12.15 p.m. concerning a traffic ticket. Well, I was there as scheduled, and to my surprise, I was the only one there. No one had called to tell me that the court would be closed so I decided to go ahead with the hearing as scheduled. <laughs> he further said, which meant that I had to be the accuser, the accused, and the judge. The citation was for going 46 miles per hour in a 35 mile per hour zone. I had the speed alert on in my car 
set for 44 miles an hour. And as the accuser, I felt that I was going over 35 miles per hour. But as the accused, I know that I was not going 46 miles per hour. As judge, and being the understanding man that I am, I decided to throw it out of court. But it had better not happen again. <laughs> Clever man. And we're a lot like that with God. I don't care if there's a blizzard. I don't care if there's a flood. You're going to stand there, and he's going to be there. And you're not going to decide the rules. He's already set those in place. And we must remember that. Jeroboam had a need for God, but he went in the wrong way. He had a knowledge of God, but it didn't lead him in the direction that it should have led him. And that's your problem and mine as human beings all the time. We have a further problem today by these preachers and declarers around the world who say God is a God of love. You never have to fear God. And that's their knowledge. I believe he is a God of love. I see him that way. He is my father but he's also my judge. And I know I can't pull the wool over his eyes like I did on my mother's eyes. My mother, I could fool so easily. She was such a kind, innocent, naive woman. Bless her memory. She thought I was a literal angel. And you know that is not the truth. <laughs> My mother was loving. But I have learned that every wrong decision I made, I have paid for dearly. Jeroboam learned that, but too late. Ladies and gentlemen, he is a God of love, but he's a God of justice and he's going to be the judge on that day. Now, second point of this message is how to get the disguise torn off. I mentioned spiritual discernment. And the, the prophet, well, she must have been just shaken in her boots when she got to the door and heard this. Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another woman? Whoo! Kind of like some of you feel right now why you came to church today to hear this sermon. Why wasn't it 1 Corinthians 13? Love is kind and patient. <laughs> hang on, hang on. It ends good. God was not blind. He knew everything that was going on. And friends... I pray the fear of God will get into your heart today because I feel I've got to tell you it's dangerous to play around with God. And some of you are playing around with God. 
As you know, I sit on the district presbytery and on the national board of our fellowship, and as a result, I come across some very interesting stories, some I can't even tell from this pulpit, and I even wondered if I should tell you the one I'm about to tell you, but I decided I was going to do it. It wasn't too many months ago when it happened in this district. I was seated at the table with my brethren when two men came in from a town I will not name. One was the senior pastor of the church. The other was the business administrator of the church. And there was evidence that they had misused funds in that church, funds that had been borrowed from an institution to build a building, didn't build one building at all had been used for a new car and tires for another car and all kinds of benefits that seemed to be accruing to the two sitting at the table with us. We questioned them. We examined everything we could, but there wasn't enough evidence to say they actually did this with maliciousness in mind and purposefully using it for self. And so... These men of God looked at those two men and said, Tell us the truth. Did you do this? They denied it. And one of the brethren, whom I shall not name, at that point lifted his finger and his voice. And if I ever saw the gift of discernment and the voice of a prophet at work, I saw it there. And he said, You men are lying. You know you're lying. We know you're lying, and you are now facing the judgment of God. They did not repent. They did not own up, and they left. You can imagine what I felt six months almost to the day later when that administrator dropped dead. 30-some years old. Just drop dead. And when they were going through his things, all of the evidence was found in his mother's garage, stuffed in boxes. You don't play around with God. What does God want to do in church? He wants to rip the mask off. That's God's design and delight. Spiritual disaster came to the king and will come to you if you don't get rid of the disguise. I want you to look at this with me. I cannot go through this without showing you what this man faced and what he brought into the lives of thousands because he would not let the mask come off. When the child fell sick, he did not ask for the restoration of the child. Now back in the 13th chapter of 1 Kings, Jeroboam had already had an encounter with God that should have shaken him into some kind of sanity. You will see here in this 13th chapter that Jeroboam's arm actually withered up when in verses 4 through 6 he dealt with the prophet of God. 
when Jeroboam in this chapter stretched out his hand toward the altar saying, Arrest him, his hand which he stretched out withered. And then the altar, verse 5, was split apart and the ashes poured out from the altar. You ought to think that this man would wake up. Well, I think you ought to wake up too, but you don't always wake up. I've dealt with people throughout my ministry that I thought would wake up at a funeral, at a tragedy, in a service like this where the Holy Ghost is zeroing in on our sins. But do we wake up? I don't know why we don't wake up, but often we do not. Then the man of God entreated the Lord for him in verse 6, and his arm was restored again. So he knew about God's grace. He knew there would be a second chance if he would pull off the mask. He had plenty of evidence. But he said, what shall become of the child? Why didn't he ask for restoration like he did for his own arm? I'll tell you why. He didn't want to repent. And that's one of the big problems we face right now in this service, right at this very moment. You don't want to repent. You don't want to own up to the fact you've had a mask on. And God has sent me here to try to break that wall down because if you don't take it off, the future is filled with pain and sorrow. You can't find mercy and cling to your sinful ways. All those wicked practices are seen by God Almighty. But if you're willing to take off the mask, God is there in mercy, always. John 4, the woman came to Jesus at the well. She had had six husbands. She was known for her waywardness. And Jesus said, I've got water to drink that you don't know anything about. And she said, sir, give me that water. And she left that encounter with Jesus on happy feet, a changed woman because she had met the right man, the man of her dreams, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who changed her with one encounter at a well at Samaria. He'll do the same for you. You're owning up to your problem. Saul of Tarsus had murder in his heart, papers in his pocket to carry it out. On the way to Damascus, when suddenly a light shone from heaven, and he said, Lord! And when he said, Lord, he became Paul, the missionary of the early church. Because when he said, Lord, he acknowledged the sinfulness, the waywardness, the pride, the arrogance of his own heart. It just took one word, Lord, and he was changed by the power of that encounter. They do the same thing today. In Luke 18, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a publican and the other a Pharisee. The Pharisee went up with his disguise on. Oh, I'm glad I'm not like other men are. Self-righteous, pious. And Jesus said, which of these two went away justified? And the answer was obvious. The publican who smote his breast and cried, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He went away justified. The Pharisee went away just as he came with his mask on. I'm not like other men. How will you leave church today? 
that 12th verse that Pastor Clemens had us read together should have startled us. Arise, go to your own house. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die. Oh, prophet, say something else. No, I can't. The child shall die. You've come with a disguise. You're going to leave with a disguise. The child shall die. There are consequences to sin. The wages of sin are death. Verse 13 says that this child is the only one of Jeroboam who shall come to the grave because in him there is found something good toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. I want that to sink in, friend. The only person in the whole clan called Jeroboam, the only one who had a normal burial, was this boy, Abijah. Nobody else had a normal death. Why? Because of disguise, mass. You say, prove it, okay? In verse 9, the prophet said, You've done more evil than all who were before you. You have gone and made for yourself other gods. All of these things I see around today, very preeminent, evil, other gods, other gods. Molded images? Now, come on. Other gods? Molded images? Sure. They just have different appearance than then. They have football uniforms and helmets on now and basketball jerseys. Our gods. We've got to hurry to get the TV on to watch them play, and then we've got to hurry out to get the paper the next morning to read all the stats. Oh, we don't have time for this book, but Sports Digest, Sports Illustrated. We've got a God in America. I'll tell you, a real big God, and it's going to destroy us. And that's just one of them. Materialistic gods that would go a mile long We have knowledge of God, but we don't have very good performance. Verse 9 indicates that it made God angry. Molded images to provoke me to anger and have cast me behind your back. That anger brought disaster on the house of Jeroboam. Read verse 10 with me. Therefore, behold... I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam every male in Israel, bond and free, and I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away refuge until it is all gone. Every male in the house of Jeroboam would be taken out like garbage, refuse. That's what it says. None of his heirs except Abijah would be given a respected burial. The rest would be devoured by scavengers. Look at verse 11. The dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. For the Lord has spoken it. 
This wasn't some potentate elected. At the annual election time, this was the Lord speaking. And the Lord was angry. And the Lord said, it will be. Now look at verse 15. The Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water. Have you ever seen a little straw in the water? That's the way Israel's going to be. He will uproot Israel from this good land which he gave to their fathers and will scatter them beyond the river Euphrates because they have made their wooden images, provoking the Lord to anger. It not only affected the whole lineage of Rehoboam, or Jeroboam, it affected all of Israel. The reasons are listed there in verse 9. Now when he said he had cast God behind his back, this is a very interesting statement. It's the same usage of the word as in Isaiah 38, 17, when it says that God cast all my sins behind his back. He forgets them. That's good news when it describes God's treatment of our sins, but it's tragically bad news when it describes a person's treatment of God. And that's the way Jeroboam treated God. He cast God behind his back. All Israel suffered. Now, where is America today? It's suffering because we've cast God behind our back. the foolishness of America, a nation like no other in history for the knowledge of God, a nation with radio stations that proclaim all day and all night the gospel, Bible sitting around on every shelf, bookstores dotting the land, churches everywhere you look but we have cast God behind our back. And I'm here to tell you that America is under judgment right now while I'm talking to you. We're not looking forward to it. It's already here. We are under the judgment of Almighty God. When I picked up a book way back after John Kennedy was murdered and read of his sin, read of his terrible lifestyle, all of his affairs with women while he was in the White House. I said, God, how long will it take before we start reaping the results? And here we are facing an election, and we're so sick of the ads. We're so sick of the mail because this one says this guy's a dog, and the other one says he's a dog and he's done this, and she's done that, and this one stole this, and this one said that. Good night. What is it? It's judgment. And God is saying, elections don't save a nation. Repentance saves a people. Taking off the mask does the job. And if my people who are called by my name See, well, humble themselves. That's what it takes. Turn from their evil ways. I will hear from heaven. Then I will forgive their sin. And I will heal their land. 
Sir, what about your sons? What about your daughters? What about your grandchildren? And you're living a lie. You've got the mask on. I wouldn't want to be in your shoes. Not when I read about Jeroboam. Not when I know that God is a God of justice. I wouldn't want to be in your shoes. I've come today to stand between you and God and you and judgment. Hopefully you'll hear me as a servant of God to help you. There's time to turn. There's time to take the mask off. And the time is now. Some of you are afraid to acknowledge that you believe in God when you go out into the marketplace. The three Hebrew children had a chance to put on a mask when the king said to them, Is it true that when you heard the sound of music, you did not fall down and worship me? How easy it would have been for them to put on the mask. He said, If you don't bow down and worship my image, I will cast you alive into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who will be that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Without hesitation, those three Hebrew boys said, Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. No masks for us. No disguises for us. Let the angels shout it. Let the hosts of hell assail. Let the devil roar in his fury. Let the kings of the earth tremble. Let Nebuchadnezzar heat his furnaces seven times hotter than ordinary. Our God is able, and he still is able. If you take the mask off and keep it off, he's able. He's able. Those boys wouldn't compromise. So the king's soldiers who polished his boots and bowed before him every day picked them up to throw them into the fire and the soldiers got too close to the fire and they blew up because they were made of the wrong material. They were combustible. But not those three Hebrew boys. Ha <laughs> ha! When they were thrown into the fire and the soldiers blew up from wrong material, before they could get the door of the furnace shut, a fourth man went in there with them. And in the fire, their ropes burned off, and he walked with them in the fire, and they had a wonderful time. You see, those boys stood for holiness. They stood for righteousness. They stood for honesty and integrity. They wouldn't do, have anything to do with masks or disguises. Our God is able. You just throw us in. Our God's able. Is that where you're living? See, some of you like to think that Christianity is binding, that if you get too deep into this, you're going to have to be a queer duck. Hey, take a look at the three Hebrew children. They were freer in the fire than they were out of it because the fourth man was walking around with them in the fire. You're going to be freer in the fire than out of it if he's there walking with you. Don't give me this business of I just can't have any fun. Man, I'm having a blast. And I know where I'm going. And I've got my family going with me. Religion doesn't put a bind on you. It sets you free. Christ tears off your mask and gives you deliverance. 
I want you to look at the last chapter of the book because it says, blessed are they that overcome. I mean Revelation, the last book. Blessed are they that overcome. I got a friend who loves to read these mysteries. I'm not with him in that. I don't have time. But he's a strange guy in that he cannot take a mystery without reading the last chapter first. And the reason is, when he's reading through it, he says, in my heart, I'm always saying, ah, 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 don't get too cozy there, villain. You haven't come to the last chapter yet. He already knows what's going to happen to him. He always wants good to prevail, and he can't wait to get to the last of the book, so he wants to find out first so he can stand the rest. And he's talking to the villain all the way through the first part of the book. Don't get too cozy. <laughs> You'll get yours later. Well, you know, that's a lot like I'm doing here today. I'm trying to direct you to the last chapter. So you'll know that blessed is he that overcomes. It's the one who makes a stand, rips the mask off and says, whatever I am, I am by the grace of God. And I'm going to trust him in every fire and through every circumstance. Will you say with those three Hebrew boys, our God is able? Our God is able. Say it. Our God is able. Our God is able. I don't want my family to be destroyed because of me. I don't want my church to lose faith because of me. I don't want my nation to end up in ruin and despair because of sin in leadership. I come to the God of mercy and the God of grace, but also the God of judgment and say, God, be merciful to me. A sinner, I cannot live without you. I must have your forgiveness. I must have your love. I must have your touch. I want to be what I am by the grace of God. I rip off the disguises. I take off the masks. I get rid of this foolishness of hypocrisy. And I'll be what I am by your grace. Jeroboam didn't. And what a tragic story. Don't let it be you. Please. Don't let it be you. Stop it! Get off of that road you are on. He's waiting, if you'll turn, to forgive you, to love you back into health and wholeness, and to bless your posterity with peace. That's the God I know. If you don't meet him that way, you're going to meet him with red, fiery eyes and with flaming fire of judgment. But you can meet him as a friend today. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer?